You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. That's the, that's the theme of that song. That's the theme of our series. That's the, the theme, really, of the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 says that you are no longer a slave, but, but a son or, or a daughter. And we've been studying through the book of Galatians. We just got this series started last week, looking at the first nine verses of the book of Galatians. Today we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 10, all the way to chapter 2 and verse 14. And we're going to see how the gospel has power to set us free. Now what I mean by gospel is I mean good news. That it, that it is good news that God came in the flesh and Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, suffered and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven from our sins. And not only does God offer us forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ, but he also offers us freedom. And what we're going to see today is that the reason why the gospel is so powerful to bring that kind of freedom is because it's not man's gospel. It is God's gospel. Man's gospel can't set us free. It's the ways of man that got us enslaved in the first place. And we can't dig ourselves out of the pit that we find ourselves in. Only God can rescue us and set us free. It is not man's gospel. It is God's gospel. So as we get started today, we need to, we need to just pause before we open God's word. We need to remind ourselves right now that this is not man's gospel. And so for us to understand and embrace what God's word has for us today, it's really not going to be about how clearly I can communicate what God's word says. It really doesn't depend upon how intently you listen to what is being said here today. Because it's not man's gospel. If it were all about how I explained it, then it would be about me and I'm a man. If it were to be all about how well you listen, then it would be about you because you're a man or a woman. But this is not man's gospel, this is God's gospel. And so in order for God's word to speak to us today, we need to ask for him to speak. We need to come here reminded again how needy, how desperate we are to hear from him, to hear his voice speaking through his word. So would you join me as we pray before the message? Our heavenly father, we come to you right now. We come to you in the name of the Son of God, the name Jesus Christ, and we believe that if the Son sets you free, we are free indeed. And we come to you, God, asking for you to move by the power of your Holy Spirit, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And God, we don't want to live as slaves. We want to live as your sons and your daughters. And so God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would move and that you would speak. And God, I pray for your servant right now, Lord. God, I pray your word says that you look to the one who is humble and contrite and who trembles at your word. And so God, I I, I pray for, for my own heart, Lord. I pray 
that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, God. And I pray that you'd be with everyone who can hear my voice right now, Lord God, that we would, that we would hear, Lord, not, not a man talk about God, but God talk through a man, Lord. I pray that I would fade very quickly into the background. This is not man's gospel. This is not my gospel. This is God's gospel. This is your gospel. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. The ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now with copies of the Bible. Um, some people came to church without a Bible today, and so we want to lend you one. If you have one at home, you can just borrow this one. Or if, Listen, if you've never owned a Bible, let this be our gift uh, to you. You can take it home with you and read it. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, right where we left off last week. And we're going to see here three things uh, that God's gospel does for us. If it were man's gospel, none of these things could be true. Here's the first one. God's gospel, the fact that it's God's gospel, clarifies who we serve. The fact that it's God's gospel clarifies who we serve. One of the reasons why we feel enslaved in our lives today is because we're trying to please all of these different people. We have our own personal goals and our own personal desires that we're trying to accomplish and we fail so often in that. And then other people put expectations on us, our friends, our family, our, our superiors. And, and we're continually failing and we feel enslaved because we can't measure up to other people's expectations. And what the gospel, what God's gospel does is it clarifies once and for all, who are we aiming to please? What does success really look like in our lives? Paul says in chapter one, verse 10, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? So he's asking the question that so many of us have to ask ourselves, whose approval am I seeking? And he really touches on a nerve there, doesn't he, with, with the approval of man. I mean, that's something that all of us uh, long for and want. I mean, it started when we, were, when we were toddlers and taking our first step and seeing our mom and our dad applaud and cheer for us and smile on us. And, and there's something good about that. There's something good about seeking that kind of approval and affirmation. But just like everything else good in this world, our sinful flesh and the enemy twists all of those things and distorts it, takes something good and makes it into something that becomes our master. We start to see it, you know, in junior high with, with peer pressure and wanting to do what our friends are doing, even though our conscience is violated. We, we go along with the crowd, and then, and then it really continues on into high school and young adulthood and all through our lives. We just stop calling it peer pressure. We just, we just sort of stop talking about it, don't we? But we all long for approval. You know, you're out for lunch with a bunch of friends, and you just sort of say something almost accidentally witty and funny and everyone kind of laughs at you. And, 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 and they, they're like, you're so funny, man. That was awesome. And then, do you ever notice that for the rest of the time, you're trying to think of something else funny to say? Because it felt good to get that affirmation. It felt good to feel that sort of sense of approval, to have everyone looking at you and smiling but that feeling, it goes away so quickly, isn't it? It's like, it's like an addiction. It's like a drug. There's that initial buzz. There's that high. But then there's that hangover, that, that, that sense of withdrawal. 
And, and we want to get it back as quickly as we can. That's why we're scouring through social media, trying to find out who's friending us, who's following us, who's favoriting what we're posting. Because we're friending, because it feels good when we, when we see that little thumbs up. It feels good when we get, a, we get an update saying that someone chose to follow us. But then, but that feeling goes away so quickly, doesn't it? And the gospel has the power to set us free from that approval of man. And Paul really lays it out quite clearly. In, in the next part of that verse, he says, Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says, you know what? You can't have it both ways. You can't be seeking the approval of man and the approval of God. There are some times where both of those things can line up where we can do God's will and where people can agree with us and affirm us and approve us. But listen, some people might agree with us when we do God's will, but not everyone will. And that can be enslaving and we can feel chained and caught when we're trying to please God and please man. And loved ones, I gotta, I gotta make it clear to you that I'm not standing up here today saying, uh, you know, this whole fear of man thing and this approval of man, this is something that I've figured out and y'all need to deal with it. No, I'm right here with you. There are multiple times, even this week, some, some very big things, some very small things where God was really challenging me personally to live out. Am I seeking the approval of man or am I seeking the approval of God? Here's, here's the beauty, listen, because I, I so often fail in this area as, as all of us do. In those moments where we know that we're going after the approval of God, it's so clarifying, isn't it? Because it's so confusing. What, what do they really think? And what if I say this? How will they respond? And I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to make them angry with me. I don't want to disappoint them. And we run it through our minds over and over and over again. But it's so clarifying. Because if we're trying to, if we're trying to please man, we would not be a servant of Christ. Listen, here, here's the beautiful thing about God's gospel. This is not man's gospel. Man's gospel is all about us trying to earn the approval of God. Us trying to reach up to God, but that, that's man's gospel. God's gospel is that if you, are, if you have placed your faith in Christ, then you are in Christ, which means you already have the approval of God. And to be in Christ, that's sort of the, the most common way that the New Testament talks about what it means to be a Christian, to be found in him, to be in Christ, so that what happens to Jesus happens to us. And so when Jesus died, it's as though we died with him. And that when he was resurrected, it's as though we resurrect with him in newness of life. And as he has gone to be with the Father, because he deserves to be with the Father, because he lived a perfect life, we are in him. And so we know that we will go to be with the Father. Even though we don't deserve it, but we are found in the one who does. And so when Jesus was baptized and the Father opened heaven and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you are found in Christ. So God is looking down on you and saying, this is my beloved Son or daughter. I am well pleased. So we're not, seek we're not trying to get God's approval. We have it. And listen, the moments... The moments in my life when I recognize that and understand that, those are the most courageous moments of my life. 
The most cowardly moments of my life are, are when I forget that and when I go after the approval of other people. The gospel clarifies who we serve. Listen, here's the other beautiful thing. When you know that it's all about serving God and when you come out of situation knowing that God is with you and for you because you are in Christ, it frees you to stop trying to impress people so that you can try to love people. You can't try to impress people and try to love people at the same time. Here's why. Because when you're trying to impress people, you're just trying to get another fix of how good it feels when people approve of you. You're not truly loved. Even when you do something nice, if you're doing it so that they'll smile at you, if you're doing it so that they'll approve of you, if it, then it's not true love because love is giving. Love is outward focused. But if you're trying to impress someone by what you're doing, what you really want is them to give you something back in return. And that's enslaving. You're always asking for something back. But in those moments, they're not just our most courageous moments, they're our most loving moments. Where, where we truly love people. Listen, you can't, you can't be afraid of people and love them at the same time. You can't try to impress people and love them at the same time. You have to know that you're loved by God and love him and then freely love others. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. But God is faithful and God's gospel powerfully clarifies who it is that we serve. Look at verse 11 now with me. He says, for I would have gospel. That's the title for today's gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's the title for today's message, not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not man's servant, I'm God's servant. And he says, I don't preach man's gospel, I preach God's gospel. Then Paul shares a little bit of his autobiography, a little bit of his story. Verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul is, is here uh, describing his story and what he's talking about is who he used to be and who he is now. Here's the other thing that God's gospel can do that, that man's gospel can't. Is God's gospel has the power to change our hearts, to change who we are at the core of our very being. Look how Paul describes himself. He says, I persecuted the church. I, I, I did it violently. I laid hands on people. I sought to destroy it. What Paul's making clear is, is this has to be God's gospel. Because this is, if this was man's gospel, I would not be the spokesperson. He says, God, but God has changed my heart. He has done something amazing. He says in, in verse 14, not only was I violently opposed to Christianity, but he was highly successful and, and, and well regarded within Judaism, within the Jewish faith. He says in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. He, he wasn't looking for the approval of man, he had it. He was the up and comer, he was at the top of, the, of his class. 
Everyone was looking to Paul. He was sort of the, the future, this great rabbi, this great scholar, this great leader in their religion. And he says, I was so extremely zealous as I was, was I for the traditions of my fathers. And so Paul here, he's describing how God changed his heart. And he begins by saying, you know what? I was the last person that anyone would expect to become a Christian. He says, you, you, no one would have, would have ever thought that, that Saul of Tarsus would become a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we get ready for Easter, and we're gonna be um, uh, giving out uh, Easter invitations um, this week to, to invite people, I just wanna encourage you that there's no one who's too far away from God that God can't reach them. There, there, is, there is no one who seems so quote-unquote good that they're not in need of God's grace. And there's no one quote-unquote so bad that, that God's grace can't reach them. It doesn't matter how far away they are. It doesn't matter how successful and content they seem. God's gospel changes hearts, and it changed Paul's heart. I love what he says in verse 15. He says, when, when he had set me apart before I was born. Isn't that amazing? God has a plan for each and every human life before we're Born. He has a prenatal plan for every human life. And there is a dignity and there is, there is significance and there is meaning and there is honor for every life in the womb because God has set apart. He has a plan and a purpose. And then he says he was called Unworthy grace. Grace we described last week as God's undeserved kindness to unworthy sinners. And then in verse 16 it says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. I just love that. God was pleased to do it. On the day that Paul was making that journey up to Damascus, God was like, today's the day. Saul's getting saved today. I've had my eye on him when he was in utero and he's been running around trying to destroy the church. He doesn't know what's coming to him. This is gonna be all. God was pleased. He was pleased to save Saul of Tarsus. He was pleased to save you. It delighted him. And then he goes on to say, Notice how it says he was pleased to reveal his son to me. And if you're reading an ESV Bible today, there's a little footnote beside the word to. And if you follow the footnote down to the bottom, it says that a more natural translation would, would be that he revealed his son in me. And this is, a, this is an important insight. I'm glad that the ESV uh, translation points this out because God doesn't simply... Uh, reveal himself to us from the outside. He also reveals himself in us on the inside. Really seen in what is the book of Romans already tells us that God's invisible attributes, his divine power, are clearly seen in what has been made, and we've all rejected him. So simply hearing the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ coming at us from the outside, we would all, because we're totally depraved, because we're sinful, would all just naturally reject it and say, I don't believe that. I'm not gonna embrace that. I'm not gonna repent of my sin. In order for someone to be saved, God doesn't simply show up on the outside. He has to do something on the inside. 
This is what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts. So give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So some, a, a light has to go on in our hearts so that we can see Jesus as the light of the world. This is, this is not man's gospel, this is God's gospel. This is why God gets the glory and salvation, not us. Because he's the, he, chose, he chooses before we're born. And, and he is the one who reveals not just outside of us, but in us. Every time someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, it is something supernatural. It is a miracle of God's saving grace. God has the power to change hearts. Paul is trying. Here's, here's the really interesting thing here, though. Paul is trying to show that it's not man's gospel. He's trying to show that it's God's gospel. And listen, Paul was so well educated. He studied under the scholar named Gamaliel, and he was. Uh, he, he, he not only knew the Old Testament inside and out, he also knew all about Greek philosophy and poetry and culture. When Paul wanted to prove this point, you know, he could have quoted some poem. He could have quoted some Stoic philosopher. He could have used some sort of uh, exposition of the Old Testament to hammer home his point. But what does he do? He tells his story. There's something instructive for us in that. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to share the gospel with other people. And sometimes we feel like we're ill-equipped. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I need to study some more apologetics or I need to do some more research about this, that, or the other thing. I don't know enough. Listen, if God has saved you, then you have a story. Tell your story. Paul had all of this other stuff, this whole arsenal of information that he could have used, but he knew the most powerful thing was to tell his story, and that's what he did. The most powerful thing you have is to share your testimony, to share your story. Verse 18 goes on to say, to, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. As soon as Paul was converted, he was given a, given a commission. As soon as he was saved, and he put on this mission of going to the Gentiles. That just means all of the nations. And you might think, well, that's pretty cool, man. Like God set him apart from his, from his mother's womb. Listen, that was true for Paul. That's also true of you. Oh, that's really cool how as soon as he got saved, he was sent on this mission. You know what? That, that was true of him. That's also true of you. Our mission statement as a church is to go and make disciples. Disciples aren't called to make disciples. Disciples who became Christians a matter of days ago Disciples who became Christians decades ago, all of us are called upon to make disciples. And all of us do that by telling our story about how God changed everything. And God gets all of the glory. If you look back at the passage that we've studied so far in verse 13 and 14, Paul's saying, I did this and I was this and I was persecuting the church and I was advancing in Judaism. And then gloriously in verse 15, it changes from I now to he where he starts talking about God. Because ultimately, when we share our story, it's not just our story. It's God's story about how he broke into our lives and saved us. Then he says at the end of verse 16, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, we know from Acts 9 that Paul went and he met with Ananias and connected with some of the other Christians there. But what Paul is trying to communicate here is that it's not man's gospel, it's God's gospel, that Jesus revealed it to him and that he didn't sort of learn it from someone else and then distort it 
No, it was revealed to him, and what we're gonna see is what was revealed to him by Jesus Christ was completely parallel to what all of the apostles who, who uh, all of the other apostles who lived with Jesus and, and, and journeyed with him and, and witnessed his, uh, his resurrected body, all of those, that they were both parallel, that they both lined up, even though he never consulted with them. At the end of verse 17, it says, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, this next section at the end of chapter one and the first half of chapter two, Paul's gonna be mentioning a lot of dates and a lot of places. And in order to sort of get things straight in my mind, I made a little chart. And so I included that chart for you in your handout. And I also drew this, this little map just to kind of keep things straight. Now, Paul said uh, at the end of verse 17, he said that he, he went into Arabia and then back to Damascus. He got saved on his way to uh, Damascus. And so he's going from Jerusalem in Judea up to uh, Damascus. And so um, that happened around uh, AD 33, maybe AD 34. And you can, if you're going to, I put all the verses, all the parallel passages in Acts so you can study it uh, on you back to uh, Damascus. And uh, uh, he, he went from Damascus into Arabia back to uh, Damascus. Now, normally when we think about Arabia, we think like south of the Dead Sea. But actually, the, the king of Arabia at the time actually had control of that whole region. He actually had control. He was ruling over Damascus at the time. So he didn't have to go far. He was, he was just in that general area. And then it goes on to say in uh, verse 18, then after three years, I went up to uh, Jerusalem. Now you might be thinking, Paul, you don't know your geography, man. Uh, Jerusalem is to the south of Damascus. You, you weren't going up, you went down. But uh, it, he's not talking about a, um, a political geography. He's talking about a, top, a, a topography that um, Jerusalem is in a mountainous region. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, the east or the south or the north or the west. I said those in a weird order, didn't I? But anyway, everyone goes up to Jerusalem. Doesn't matter where you're coming from. And so he went up. So he went from uh, Damascus and Arabia. That's the story in Acts 9 where people wanted to kill him. And he got let down out of a basket. Must have been a big basket, man. Uh, laying, or he's a small man, I don't know. And laying, um, having him come down the wall, down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem, which is in the region of Judea. It says, so sit there to visit Cephas and remain with them 15 days. He says, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James, the Lord's brother, was not saved, was, was not following Jesus when uh, Jesus was walking on the earth. He was just like Paul. He became an apostle late. Uh, Jesus. He became a set apart as a messenger who was sent uh, by uh, Jesus. Verse 20, and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And this is the story where uh, Paul is there and he goes to Jerusalem and everyone's kind of afraid of him. And this is recorded in Acts chapter nine as well. And then Barnabas rest, reaches out and, 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 and connects with Paul and then introduces him to the rest of the church. But he didn't stay there long because Acts nine again records, just like they wanted to kill him in Damascus, there were now death threats on his life in, uh, in Jerusalem. And so that's why it says in uh, verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. 
And so Syria, that's Antioch, that, that's where the city of Antioch is, that region. And Cilicia, that's the region where Paul grew up. That's, he's Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was his hometown. And that he actually went there first when he escaped from Jerusalem after the death threats. And he says, verse 22, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Judea is this region down here. He's talking about the churches around Jerusalem. Why is he saying I was still unknown? Because listen, he, he was never seeking after the approval of man. He wasn't trying to build this, 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 this big Paul's own kingdom. He was trying to build God's kingdom. He was trying to spread the word of who Jesus is and what he's done. He wasn't trying to spread a name for himself. Verse 23, they were only hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You see, it's not, it's not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. God's gospel transformed a hard heart like Paul's. He was persecuting and now he's preaching. And because it's God's gospel, not man's gospel, they praised God, they didn't praise Paul. Then look at chapter two, verse one, it says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Here's another visit to Jerusalem. You can see it there uh, in your chart, in your handouts. This happened around 47 or 48 AD, 14 years, not 14 years since his last visit to Jerusalem, but 14 years since he got saved and called. Now on this trip to Jerusalem, he's bringing Barnabas with him, who's his buddy. He met him in Jerusalem and they've been doing ministry together, but he also brought someone else. He brought someone named Titus. And Titus, you can tell even by his name, this is a, this is a Greek person. This is someone who was not Jewish, who has given their faith, or has given their life to Jesus Christ, trusting him by faith. And so he's bringing non-Jewish Titus to very Jewish Jerusalem. And he's going to introduce a non-Jewish Christian to some very Jewish Christians. And uh, what happens here is very, very important for the churches in Galatia. It's also very, very important for us. Because the gospel not only clarifies who we serve, it not only has the power to change our hearts, it also has the power to challenge, to challenge our prejudices. To challenge our prejudices. And we're going to see that play out. And Titus is sort of going to be the, um, the, the uh, it, it, he's going to be the test case. And this, this, this discussion about Titus is sort of going to be the flashpoint, this, this important moment. Verse 2 says, I went up because of a revelation. Now that's probably referring to Acts 11, which is there in your, in your chart. Agabus was a prophet who received revelations from God. And at the end of Acts 11, he has, he has a revelation. He makes a prophecy that there's gonna be this great famine that was coming. Paul's in Antioch with Barnabas and the church there generously says, well, if there's gonna be a famine, we know that the church in Jerusalem is already strapped financially. And so we are going to, we're gonna have a capital campaign. We're gonna do some fundraising. We're gonna raise money and give it to the church at Jerusalem. So they raise a whole bunch of money and then Saul or Paul and Barnabas are the ones who deliver it. So this is why they're in Jerusalem at the time. Verse two says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I run 
among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. He wanted to make sure that his God and the gospel that was being preached in Jerusalem, that it was the same gospel. Because he, he already said in, the, in, in verses 1 to 9, there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. Then verse 3 says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Now, um, circumcision, this sort of becomes the central issue here, but circumcision is really symbolic for this whole other question that they were asking. In order to become a Christian, does someone first need to become Jewish? Now, that's not a question that we're asking ourselves all of the time. But the question that was being asked was, in order for Titus to follow the rules of Jesus, does that mean that he must follow all of the laws, rituals, rules, and regulations that are found in the Old Testament? I'm not sure if you've ever asked yourself that question. Have you ever sort of read through the book of Leviticus and then wondered, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be putting cheese on my sandwich with meat. Maybe, maybe I think this shirt is 50% cotton, 50% polyester. Maybe I shouldn't be... Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever wondered, maybe I shouldn't cut the grass on Sunday. Maybe that's work. Maybe I'm violating the the Sabbath. Am I the only one who's ever asked myself those questions? How how do I relate to the, I guess I'm the only one. Um, How do I relate to to the Old Testament as a New Testament believer? And that's the very issue that they were wrestling with when Paul was visiting Jerusalem at that time. Verse 4 says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped out to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. So there's this group of false brothers. And I don't know if they were truly false and that they were, that, that they were liars and they weren't were real Christians or if they were Christians who had just bought into and believed a lie. But they were saying something false and they slipped in. And even though as soon as Titus showed up, there was no issue of circumcision, he didn't need to be forced, he was free in Christ, these other believers came in, these other brothers came in, these false brothers, and said, no, we need need to make sure that he's circumcised, we need to make sure that he honors the Sabbath, we need to make sure that he follows all of the the ceremonial laws, all all of the laws. And so... Verse five says, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. He says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. What is the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is that a person is saved by faith alone in Christ alone, period. No footnotes, no appendices, nothing to be added on. And he says, no amendments, Faith alone in Christ alone, period. And he says that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And of course, he's writing to the churches in Lystra and Derby and Iconium, people who lived in that region of Galatia. But as he's speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we understand the implications of, of, of what happened with Titus and how it affects us, he was speaking that reverberates through the centuries and a, a, across the ocean so that it speaks to us right here, right now. The truth of the gospel is that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, and nothing needs to be added to that. Verse 6 says, and, and from those who seem to be influential, what those were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Again, Paul's not seeking the approval of man. Those, I say, who seemed influential, notice this, added nothing to me. Period. 
Nothing was added. No extra rules about the Old Testament. No need for circumcision. No need to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. Verse seven, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, is through me for mine to the Gentiles. I love that idea, working through. You see, it's not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. So even when a man, or the people who, someone like Peter, it's God who's working through him. Or Paul, it's God who's working through them. Or the people who are serving in this church, it is not us doing the work, it is God who is working through us because it's not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. Verse nine, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, which is what brought them there in the first place, the very thing I was eager to do. You see, the gospel fights through those prejudices. It challenges those preconceived to truly live as a Christian. And this was a key moment for the church of Jerusalem. It was a key moment for the universal church worldwide but it's easy to allow those prejudices to, to slip back in. Take a look at what happens in verse 11. This is the last event on your timeline. It's important to note here, some of you who are really familiar with the book of Acts, you know that in Acts chapter 15, there was this, another meeting in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas were there too. And that's when they wrote a letter, really ratifying and, and, and saying truly, that you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. You don't need to follow the Old Testament law. You see, because we know that that event hadn't happened yet because if, 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 if that letter had been written, there would have been no reason for Paul to have written Galatians because the issue would have already been dealt with. But this is how, how the issue was being resolved uh, initially. And so... In verse 11, it says, when, when Cephas, which is that he's just talking about Peter when he uses the name Cephas, it's really pronounced Kephas. Um, but when, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So certain people came from James, which really just means they came from Jerusalem. We know from Acts 15 that they, they weren't authorized by James. James didn't send them, but they came from Jerusalem. James was sort of like the lead pastor of that church, so that's why uh, that language is being used. And Peter, when he was in Antioch before, he was, he was eating with the Gentiles, he was eating with the non-Jewish people, but then these people, these other people came, and Peter all of a sudden withdrew, and because Peter was such an influential leader, look at verse 13, it says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I mean, even Barnabas, even, even the son of encouragement, the guy who reached out to Paul when he was being ostracized, Barnabas now acted hypocritically and was kind of turning his back on the Gentile Christians. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. What's the truth of the gospel? Faith alone in Christ alone, period. There's no second-class Christians. There aren't the, the Jewish Christians and then the non-Jewish Christians. 
He says, I I said to Cephas before them all, because they were all involved, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, that's a bit of a mouthful, and we're going to cover that sentence and the the rest of uh, uh, Paul's interaction with Peter the the next time, uh, the the next message uh, in this series. But it's interesting here how... It says that, that Peter, if you look at the end of verse 12, it says that he separated himself. That word separated, that is the verbal form of the noun Pharisee. So you could translate that, he Pharisized. He Pharisized himself. He started acting like a Pharisee, separating himself like he was better than the. But there's a good lesson here. There's a really good lesson here is that the authority does not lie in the people that proclaim the gospel. The authority lies in the gospel. That's an important distinction. Peter, as a leader in the church, was still capable of making a mistake. And it it wasn't that Paul sort of did a power play and said, well, I'm gonna tell you this because I'm more important and Peter, you need to listen to me, no. Paul came to Peter as an equal, and the authority was not Peter over Paul or Paul over Peter. The authority was the gospel over both of them. But here's the really scary thing. Peter knew better, loved ones. I mean, back in Acts chapter 10, before all of this happened, Peter had a vision. A picnic blanket came down from heaven, and God says, we're going to have a barbecue, Pete. And, and arise, kill, and eat. And, but all of the animals on the blanket were animals that were prohibited by the Old Testament dietary laws. And the vision happened three times. And then, and then there's a knock on Peter's door right after the vision. And it's these, these messengers from this non-Jewish guy named Cornelius saying, come over to my house. Now, Peter had never been inside the home of a non-Jewish person. He had been raised according to the Pharisaical, the Old Testament law, that he should never even go into a non-Jewish home. But he shows up at the house, and this is what he says when he first meets Cornelius and all the people that were there. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He said that in Acts 10, 28. Then this is what he says later in Acts 10, 34 to 35. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Peter knew that he could eat with Gentiles. And then, but then the circumcision party shows up in, in Galatians chapter two, and Peter steps away. But listen, Peter had already had a conversation with the circumcision party about this already. Take a look at Acts chapter 11. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, after he went to Cornelius' house, it says the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. So he'd already been through this. What Peter was experiencing in Galatia was something he had already experienced in Jerusalem. And Peter had dealt with it. Peter said, well, let me tell you. 
And so Peter explained the story and then he concludes at Acts eleven seventeen. if then God gave them the same gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit when they received the gospel as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so Peter clearly said, I'm not gonna stand in God's way, but now you come to Galatians chapter two a few years later and he is standing in God's way. He's Pharisaizing, he's separating himself. Why is Peter doing this? Why is he being so inconsistent? You know, Peter's a, he's a complicated character, aren't we? We're all complicated. You see, when you, when you look at what's, what the explanation that's given, there's a participle at the end of verse 12 there. When it talks about him separating himself, then it gives the reason why, fearing the circumcision party. Peter's complicated. I mean, he was brave enough to get out a sword and to challenge the soldiers that were arresting to Jesus, but he cowered in fear when the servant girl asked him if he believed in him. We're all complicated like that, aren't we? You see, fear is such, such an enslaving thing. It gets such a grip, such a hold on us, doesn't it? But loved ones, we're no longer a slave to fear. You see, what, what, what happened to Peter is what so often happened to us. He just wanted the approval of man. He didn't like the, the pointing, the wagging fingers from the circumcision party. Even though he had dealt with it once before, when the pressure came back. You see, for Peter, it was, it was the circumcision party was saying, do you understand how many years of history what we're talking about culturally and ethnically, Peter, are you just gonna turn your back on your forefathers? And listen, some of us may have felt that pressure as you really decided to get serious about following Jesus Christ. There might've been certain cultural things that were being left behind. There might've been certain things related to your family that you had to leave behind. And, and that fear of having people disapprove of us can be so troubling, can't it? The loved ones, the gospel, is not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. And it has the power to set us free. It, ha- it clarifies who's our master, so we don't have to be afraid of what people think. It changes our hearts, and it challenges those prejudices that can so easily come back. And so let's stand together as we prepare to respond, and let's declare together that we are no longer slaves. Our hearts have been changed. We no longer serve other people or are longing for their approval. We are sons and daughters of God. So Father, help us as we respond right now, as we sing this anthem of grace, that I pray that you would no longer slaves, but that we are children of God. I pray that you would stir in our hearts by the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.